verses and words that we're going to read summarize the message of Hebrews. They prepare us. They prepare the church to go and live out what the author has been calling the church to do. And my hope is that on the basis of God's word this morning, that your understanding of the gospel would be, would be crystallized, that your faith would be strengthened, that you would have a greater joy and desire to run the race that is set before you. And, and for that to happen, I really feel like we need to know what this passage is about and what the main point is. So the main point this morning is, is that the blood of Jesus saves us from the grave to glory. And so that's what I want us to know. The blood of Jesus saves us from the grave to glory. And we're going to unpack that as we go. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand. We stand at the reading of God's word. We're not going to have you go up and down as the children did this morning. Although that was quite fun. I think we've gotten our exercise in. Hopefully you are awake by now. But we are going to read chapter 13, verse 20, all the way to verse 25. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send, their, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Let's pray. Father, Father, I, I pray right now, bless this word, your word. Accomplish everything that you would desire in it. God, give us, give us understanding of your gospel. May, may we be in awe this morning of the gospel. May we be humbled as we behold the gospel. May we, may our minds, may our hearts be stretched as we realize the extent of your grace in which you have saved us. I just pray for this morning, Lord, that, um, that we would all run the race with greater vigor and zeal because of understanding the power of your gospel and what you have done for us in Jesus. In your name, amen. You all may be seated. Um, so we're gonna start, uh, really just kind of two main headings today is bear with the word of exhortation and then we're going to look at the eternal blood of the covenant. But if we start at verse 22, we read the words, bear with my word of exhortation. Uh, the words exhortation refer to the message of Hebrews. In fact, those exact same words are used um, in the book of Acts to describe the sermon that Paul gives in Acts chapter 13. Uh, and so this, we said all the way back in the beginning of Hebrews, this isn't just a letter. It's really written like a sermon to the church, to be read before the church as a sermon. And we all know sermons are meant to have a point, and they're meant to call us to response. And so this sermon that, that the author has written to the church of Hebrews and to us is calling for a response. And so we could say, so what is that response? Well, it's, it's the word bear. Bear with it now. And the word bear means to put up with. He's urging us 
to put up with, to obey the message that he has preached, that the congregation has heard. And so that's what he wants to do. He says, I've laid this for, now, now run with it, bear it, hold on to it, obey what I've called you to do. Now, in almost every single sermon, so 39 of them, just about every single one of them, I have reminded us of the context of this letter. And so you, you should have that ingrained in you really, really well by now. Uh, but we're going to do it again, because we do it almost every time we preach through, because we just keep it, must keep it central as we're looking through why he's written this letter. So the Church of Hebrews is, is a group of Christians that have been persecuted, they've been arrested, they've suffered for the gospel, and they're they're wrestling with staying in the faith. They're thinking about abandoning Christianity and going back to Judaism. Judaism was legal. Judaism was safe. Jews were not persecuted. So to go to that would be easy. To go to that would avoid all the pains and the sufferings they have experienced because of Christianity. Now, I don't think that there are many people here this morning, and you might be, but I don't think there's many who are being tempted to turn to Judaism. But I do think that there's many of us who have struggled with our faith, who will struggle with our faith, and we've wrestled with, should I keep running? Do I still believe in this thing called Christianity? And oftentimes, this can, this, these kind of thoughts can take place because of uh, situations, because of trials that have gone on in our life. Perhaps you've experienced a death, some type of loss, maybe, maybe some level of suffering, or even some type of health issue that's lasted for a prolonged period of time, and you've said, why, God? If you really are good, why or how could you let this happen? And so I, I just want to ask you just to kind of examine yourself this morning. Just take a moment and just go, where are you in your faith right now? Are you struggling? Do you know someone who's struggling? Are you wondering or have you wondered, is Christianity worth it? At this moment, can I really keep going? Can I keep running this race? And so perhaps you've been tempted, um, or if not today, perhaps that will come at some other point in your life. And so the author here has told the church of Hebrews and has told us today to keep in the faith. He's called us to stay in the faith. In chapter 2, he said, watch out for spiritual drift, from drifting away from the gospel. In chapter 3, verse 6, he said, hold fast your confidence. In chapter 3, verse 14, he said, hold our original confidence firm to the end. Chapter 4, verse 11, strive to enter the rest. Chapter 10, 23, hold fast the confession of our hope. 12, run, run with endurance. 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. 13, 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. The whole thing is stay in the faith. Don't fall away. The question then is as we come to the end, how? How do we persevere? How do we keep running the race? Because he's not telling us just suck it up. Be tough. Wear the Nike shirt. Just do it. Don't complain. That's not what he's telling us to do. That's so often how we functionally act as Christians, but that's not what he's telling us. Rather, throughout the book of Hebrews, he's invited us into a deeper understanding of the gospel. For the answer for how we persevere is by the gospel. 
We persevere by the gospel. The Christian life begins and ends with the gospel. And everything, when we're in this word, is meant to help us better understand the gospel. And so we're going to look at verse 20. If you look at verse 20, it begins with the words, Now may the God of peace. Now just, just, just pause right there. Sometimes we read so quickly. Our God is a God of peace. Do you know that? It just, just reflect on it. He's a God of peace. And the only reason we can be saved and forgiven is because the God of peace has provided a way for us not to be under his wrath, but to experience his peace for all of eternity. How has he done that? If you look at verse 20, he says, Now may God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the eternal blood of the covenant. So I just want, we're going to stop there, and I just want us to focus on those words, the eternal blood of the covenant. Everything we're going to say from this moment on is going to be on the basis of those words, the eternal blood of the covenant. So the first thing I just want you to see is the eternal blood of the covenant paid the price for our sins. When you hear those words, when you read those words, when you see those words, you need to think gospel and especially the cross of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. That's why when you look, it says, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So the God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead, if he raised from the dead, then we know he, he did die. So the God of peace who sent his son, Jesus, to die and raised him from the grave. So why is that important? Well, if we went all the way back to Hebrews 1, I just want to remind you how the book started. In the beginning of Hebrews, it begins to mention and talk about Jesus. In fact, it's probably the most beautiful description of Jesus we have in the entire Bible. And it talks about how Jesus is the one who created and sustains everything by his word right now. It talks about how Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. We learn that Jesus is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus is God. He's eternally existed, and it's this Jesus, the one who has eternally existed, the one who made everything, the one who with his very word sustains not only creation, not only the trees, not only the sun and the wind and the stars, but also your hearts and your lungs and everything in you right now that it would continue to function it's this Jesus who then comes to the earth in the flesh like you and I. And that's what chapter 2 goes into, chapter 4 goes into, all in the book of Hebrews. And it talks about how he came to the earth in the flesh to die on the cross for our sins. And his point is, is when you look at the Old Testament and you look at all the goats and the bulls and all these sacrifices that took place, they were mere shadows of a much greater sacrifice that was needed. Because when we read about all the blood and the bulls and the goats and the sheep, we realize those sacrifices never actually fully atone for the sins of the people who were sacrificing them, which is why they had to keep making them over and over and over again. And so when you read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, it says this, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we know that those weren't the end. Those were merely a sign pointing us to something greater. And then in chapter 15, 10, verse 15, it says, that's why Jesus, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. 
That's the gospel. The, old, the animal sacrifices were a constant reminder of how sinful we are, and we need a much greater sacrifice, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus is the greater sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the one who came to deal with our sins, and three days later, we read that he rose, proving that he conquered sin, death, and Satan. And so the author, throughout the book, and as he's bringing it to an end, he's saying, if you leave Christianity, if you abandon this faith and this Jesus, then you're abandoning the only means in which the God of peace has made for you to live with him for all of eternity. Neither Judaism, atheism, Hinduism, Buddhism, or any other religion can bring about forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the eternal son of God, is one who died, is one who rose so that we could be justified declared righteous. There is no forgiveness in any other name, which is why in Acts 4, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So if you reject Jesus, if you want to go to Judaism, if you want to turn to anything else, you're leaving the only means in which God has provided for us to have forgiveness of sins. There's no other forgiveness in any other name in any other place. So that's the first thing we have to remember as we're coming to the eternal blood of the covenant. It pays the price for our sins. So that's number one. Number two, the eternal blood of the covenant provides the grace for our obedience. Look at verse 21. On the basis of the eternal blood of the covenant, God not only forgives us, but now he equips us. Look at how it starts. So this God of peace who sent his son, who rose him from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, now equips you with everything good that you may do his will. And every blessing that you and I receive is on the sole basis of the blood of the eternal covenant of Jesus Christ, that he came and died for us. So many times as we came through the book of Hebrews, we said our salvation is not simply an event. We think of it as an event. Sometimes we, we, we isolate it as if that's all it is. We sometimes think of our salvation as that we're, we're saved by grace. Like we, we enter the race, but then we must finish the race and get to the finish line by our own strength. And that's, I believe, why we often get so discouraged. That's why we struggle with assurance of our salvation. And so what we've said throughout the book, and as he's going to be finishing this morning, he wants to remind us that salvation is not just about starting the race, but it's also finishing the race and everything in between. Or to say it this way, salvation is not just about your justification being declared righteous, the paying the price for your sins. It's also about your sanctification being made more and more like Jesus. And it's about your glorification, spending eternity with God in heaven, in the perfect state, never to be separated again. Or to say it another way, to go back to our main point, the gospel saves us from the grave to glory. It saves us from the consequences of our sins. He pays the price for our sins so that we get to glory. There's no breaks he saves us so we'd be forgiven to get to glory. So how does this happen? How does it go from the beginning of the race all the way to the end of the race? How does the God of peace equip us? What I think is interesting, and I, I went through versions of this sermon 
to lead out this whole section I'm about to talk about. Um, he doesn't mention the high priesthood of Jesus at all. Now, if you were here with us, the main point of Hebrews is not, not only Jesus made the perfect sacrifice, but he's the perfect high priest who made the sacrifice. But he doesn't even go there. He doesn't even bring up the fact that Jesus is our high priest. Rather, in verse 20, he says that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, we probably don't know a lot about sheep. I don't know if we have a lot of farmers in here, but I think we know enough about sheep that we know that that's not the most flattering comment to be said, you're, you're like sheep. sheep. Sheep are rather dumb creatures. They're prone to wander, and they're easily killed. And so if Jesus is our shepherd, then we are sheep. We're sheep. But I, I want you to think, what does that say about our need, and what does that say about Jesus? It says, we desperately need to be taken care of at all times. And Jesus, for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3, has gone to the cross that he would be our shepherd and joyfully care for us as his sheep. And so, um, being our shepherd, he guides us, he keeps us, he protects us. Now, now look at what the point is in verse 21 of this equipping or, or of this shepherding, it says that he equips you with everything good that you may do his will. So Jesus, as our shepherd, watches over us and gives us grace so we would obey God's will. So what, what is that? What is God's will? You ever ask that question? What's God's will? How do we know what God's will is? The commands of Scripture. Revealed to us clearly what God's will is. So if we were just to limit the book of Hebrews and only take a sampling of the commands that we have in the book of Hebrews, we're to hold fast to our confession of faith. We're to spur one another on in good works. We're to gather as the church. We're to run the race. We're to love our spouses. We're to love other believers. We're to be hospitable. We're to guard the marriage bed. We're to submit to elders. So Jesus, as our perfect high priest and our perfect shepherd, is going to give you the grace needed to obey all these commands that we would live a life pleasing to God. That's God's will. And so when, when you look at the commands of Scripture, that's telling you what it is that God wants you to do. Now, there's often two ways that we respond to the commands of Scripture. Often two ways. First, we can become overwhelmed. This often happens when we begin stumbling and falling and we kind of, we mess up, we sin. And if we stumble and fall enough times, we begin to start thinking about throwing in the towel and, and stop trying altogether. We say things like, I, I can't do it. It's too hard. I mean, have you ever done that? Here's a guy, I can't read God's word. I, I can't pray. It's too hard to gather with the church. Have you ever felt totally discouraged because of your disobedience? You just look at your sins and you go, there's... There's no point. I've like fallen so many times. God probably doesn't want me. Nobody else wants me. I've shared this illustration before. Um, so I'll do it again. Back in middle school, I, I, don't, I don't like running at all now. Running is a terrible thing. But back in middle school, I, I ran a lot. I, I loved running. I was sick back then. 
Um, but I loved running. I was pretty good at it. And there was one time I entered a 5K race and, and I was in middle school and, and it's a community race. And so there's people of all ages there. And I started off well. I was well ahead of everyone in my age bracket and probably most of their age brackets. Um, and then with about a mile to go, a cramp came in. Now I've had many cramps. Probably if you're a runner, you've had a side cramp. And what do you do if you get a cramp when you run? You run through it, suck it up, right? Of course that's what you do. But for some reason, I didn't this time. And that still haunts me to this day. You know there's things that haunt you? And like, a 5K race. Anyways, um, weird things that haunt us. But as I began to focus on the, on the side cramp more, I began to focus less on running. As I focused on the side cramp more, um, my pace slowed. As I focused on the side cramp more, I, I soon began to stop running. And as I walked, and as I continued to focus on it, I eventually just quit the race. And I was like, I'm done. This is ridiculous. That's what happens when we focus on our sins. We just become so overwhelmed um, because of pain, because of failure, because of suffering. Obedience looks impossible. So we just throw it in. That's response number one. Response number two. So if the first one is to be overwhelmed, the second one is to be overly righteous. These are the people who say, well, I'm saved by faith, not by works. It doesn't matter if I obey because I'm saved by grace. Obedience becomes optional to these people. And it would be fun to spend a whole sermon talking about the necessity of obedience because obedience is the evidence of our faith. Faith without works is not saving faith. We see that. James 2.17, but we're not going to get into all of that, but, but the overly righteous person says, I don't really need to obey God's word because I am, I'm saved by grace. So, so the commands are more optional for me, so I'm not going to do that. Um, but that is a distorted view of the gospel, which actually we're going to be starting the book of Jude in a couple of weeks, so I encourage you to go ahead and start the book of Jude. One of the main problems in the book of Jude is they think, well, we can do whatever we want. But remember, is salvation an event? No. Salvation's not an event. It's not just about being forgiven. It's about now living as a new creation for the very glory of God, living out his commands, obeying him. And so what I want you to do is, is turn to Hebrews 8. Quick. In Hebrews chapter 8, the author is going to quote Jeremiah, which is the largest Old Testament quotation in the New Testament. And he's going to remind us of the great covenant that we have. So Jeremiah, 700 years before um, Jesus comes, prophesies of the new covenant, of what we're talking about today. And he describes how it's going to be better than the old covenant. So chapter eight, verse eight says this. For he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. That's key there. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So what's wrong with the old covenant? Where was it written? Stone tablets. In verse 9, what's the problem with being written on stone tablets? 
the people didn't continue in the faith. And so where is it written now in the new covenant? How does he give a new, a better, a greater covenant? He's going to write it on our hearts and our minds so that we will all obey. In fact, Ezekiel 36, 27, I think says it maybe with a little more clarity as we look at it this morning. He says, and I will put my spirit within you. Same thing, we're talking new covenant here. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Hebrews 9, 14. So we're back in Hebrews now. It says, on the basis of Jesus' blood, our conscience has been purified from dead works to what? To serve the living God. The death of Jesus saves us from a life of sin, so now we live a life of righteousness to God. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus bore our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live to what? Righteousness. Titus chapter 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us, notice what we're redeemed from, from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who do what? Zealous for good works. So listen, Jesus pays the price for your sins, but Jesus also, his blood also purchases the power so you would now live a new life of obedience to God. So Jesus, as your perfect shepherd, gives you grace to obey. And you're sitting there going, okay. So I get that we're forgiven, and I get that Jesus gives me grace, but I think sometimes we still think of it wrong. We think of Jesus equipping, like, like him giving us a tool belt, and he's going to give you some grace, and he's going to give you these tools that are going to fit in your tool belt. So when you're like, oh, I need to love my wife, I pull out the, the love my wife tool. And if I, if I need to pull out the, you know, submit to my elder tool, I pull that one out. Or if I love my enemy tool, and we just, we pull these tools out. And so think of them like hammers and screwdrivers and stuff like that, right? So you have this tool belt. And what's the problem, though, there? I mean, some of us aren't very good with tools, Right? That's true. I have no idea how to swing a hammer. Screwdriver, I don't know which one. Phillips, flat, you know, star heads. Some of you are going star heads. <laughs> and, and, and so when we start thinking about like this, he's just giving us grace, and now it's up to you to use that grace so you're going to get to the end of the race. If there's a problem with that, and the problem is, is we're still really me-focused. Because you're sitting there going, okay, I got saved by grace. Okay, I'm cool with that. Okay, he gives me grace. Okay, so there, it's, in my, it's in my belt. But now I got to use it. And it's up to me now to get to the end of the race, which is why we know some just don't make it. Because we don't all have the same skills. And that's what happens. Like, we look at the Apostle Paul, right? Oh, he was good with tools. I mean, if we could just be like him... We'd be, we'd be really awesome. Or if we could be like that pastor, we could be like that Christian. They're just, I'm just not made like that. Don't we say things like that? I'm not like that person. I can't do that. You're completely wrong at that moment. You're totally misunderstanding the gospel right there. So this brings us to the next point. The eternal blood of the covenant. Now get this. 
performs the work of grace in you. So let's go back to verse 21. You, you just, so the God of peace, verse 20, he sent his son Jesus, he rose him from the dead. He's given him as our great shepherd, all on the basis of the blood of the covenant, so that he would equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Now get it, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Did you miss it? Do you see it? How do we do God's will? How do we use the grace he gives us so we would obey? Don't come up with your own answer. Look at the text. Who works in you? This is our interactive portion of the night, morning. Who works in you? I'll take one of three answers. You can say God, Father, Son, Spirit. I'm good with them all. I mean, we'll, we'll correct it. It's the Spirit, but they're all working in it. It has nothing to do with your abilities and powers. It has nothing to do with your abilities and your powers and your resources. By the blood of Jesus, you're forgiven. By the blood of Jesus, nothing more. You did nothing. By the blood of Jesus, he gives you grace to obey him. And that same blood of Jesus then gives us the spirit of God to live in you that he would perform the work of grace in you. It's the spirit of God that dwells in you that now you would obey the word of God because he performs the work of righteousness in you. Think about Philippians chapter two. I think this is on the screen. Is Philippians two there? Yep. Look at what this says. Therefore, my beloved, Paul's writing this, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what you have to do. That's what I have to do. That's what the church of Philippi is called to do. So on a good day, I'm waking up and I'm like, oh, I got this, right? On a good day, we wake up and like, yeah, I can work out my salvation. On a hard day, I'm going, not a chance, not a chance. But you know what the good news is? It doesn't matter on your emotional state, on your physical state, because look at the rest of the verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how do you work out your salvation? Who works in you? For it is God who works in you, both to will. So you having even the desire to obey is God's work in you that he would bring it about for his good pleasure. Paul tells us to work out our salvation, but then we learn that it's the spirit of God who's in us that actually accomplishes the work. So bring this all back to the letter of Hebrews. The letter of Hebrews is written to a church that's struggling, that's hurting, that's tired, that's worn out, and maybe that's you today. And you're saying, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I don't know how I'm going to keep going. And so he says, keep the faith, run the race, don't give up. That's the message of Hebrews, all on the basis of the gospel. And then he brings it to verses 20 and 21. And he says, now remember, God's going to accomplish all of this in you. Don't trust in yourselves, trust in the grace of God. Don't look to your own strength. Look to the strength of Jesus. So to go back to the illustration of me running a 5K, which is a long time ago, never happening again. Um, let's just say that's a picture of the Christian life. 
What do we do when the side cramp comes? What do we do when we sin? What do we do when we suffer? What, we do, what do we do when we face temptation? What do we do when we think we can no longer run the race? Like, what do we do? Number one, we remember the gospel. Jesus paid the price by his blood for my sins. I'm totally forgiven. I'm declared righteous before God. Number two, we remember the gospel. Jesus is my perfect shepherd who gives me grace to obey. Number three, we remember the gospel. Jesus has given me the spirit who lives in me and performs the work of grace in me. So what do we remember? Because the gospel is not an event. It saves us from the grave to glory. And everything in between it takes care of. So let me give you kind of one more example. And we talked about this a little bit already. Many of you know the Apostle Paul, not personally. But you know the Apostle Paul, if, if you're kind of new to the church, Paul, Paul wrote majority of the New Testament. There's 27 letters, and he wrote 13 of them. And he, he's a pretty cool guy. And he's one that when we read, we see he suffered for the gospel, he preached the gospel, he advanced the kingdom of the gospel, he disciples people, he raises up elders, he gets stoned from sharing the gospel, dragged outside the city, and then he gets back up, and he goes back in the city, and he, and he preaches the gospel again. It's like one of my favorite stories in Acts. I'm just like, how? He's the one who writes to live as Christ, to die as gain. He's the one who says that my, his grace is made perfect in my weakness. I mean, he's a pretty cool guy, right? And so often, I think, we read the New Testament letters, and we're in awe of Paul. And we go, that, that's just what I want to be like. But Paul's cut from a different cloth. I mean, I'll never be like that. That's what I want to be like. If you read the Bible and you're in awe of anyone other than God and Jesus Christ, you misread the Bible. Paul doesn't write it. So you look at him and go, oh, man, he was made in a special image of God. And we're just kind of like sub-images. It's not how we read the Bible. Paul is no different from you. He's no different from me. He's made in the image of God, saved by the gospel. His sins were paid for. Same grace was given to him that he would obey. Same spirit works in him that he would obey. The reason Paul did all they did was because of the grace of the gospel and nothing else. If you read Paul, and you're in awe of Paul, you missed it. Paul's just saying, look, I'm just, imitate me because I'm just imitating Christ. I'm just looking to Jesus the whole time. And that's what all of us are to do as well. The reason Paul did what he did is because of the gospel. So the reason you can love your spouse, you go back to like Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, and it just talks about all these things that we're to do. We're to love our spouses. We're to love our neighbors. We're to be hospitable. We're to love our enemies. We're to love our elders. We're to love um, those in the church. How is it that we do any of that? By the Spirit who works in us that he would work in us to love others. The reason you can persevere in your faith, the reason you can endure in the face of suffering, the reason, as Chris shares about Horatio Bonar earlier, and we go, is that his last name? 
Spaffle, yeah, I was like, that's another guy. Um, but as we read about Horatio and you go, man, how could I ever say it is well with my soul when the majority of my family has died? By grace. We don't get to the end of the day and go, man, look at all the things I did. We come to the end of the day and say, God, grace working in me and through me. So when you read your Bible, you praise God because he worked in you to read your Bible. When you pray, you praise God because he worked in you that you would pray. When you love your spouse, you praise God because he worked in you to love your spouse. When you gather with the church like you do right now, you don't pat yourself on the back and say, look what I did, I gathered with you. You praise God because he worked in you that you would gather with the church. The blood of Jesus has paid the price for your justification that you're declared righteous. The blood of Jesus has worked and paid the price for your sins that you would be sanctified, continually made more like Christ. And the blood of Jesus has paid the price for your glorification that you will one day live with God in the new heavens and new earth, never to be separated from him again. Your entire Christian life is based upon the gracious blood of Jesus. You've been saved from the grave to glory, which leads to the last point, the eternal blood of the covenant secures the glory of God in Jesus. Why is it that no one boasts before God? Think about that. Why does no one have any grounds at all to boast in the presence of God. Because the only reason you and I are there is because of grace. The only reason we run is because of grace. The only reason we entered the race is because of grace. The only reason we get to the end of the race is because of grace. The only reason we will stand in his presence is because of grace. The only reason he's able to use you and me in any means possible for, his, uh, for the benefit of the advancement of the kingdom is by his grace. Which is why last words of verse 21 to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. We praise God through Jesus Christ because in Jesus, he's given us everything. That's how he ends the letter. That's why it's called benediction. It's a good word. Turns the struggling church, church that doesn't even wanna run, churches that already stopped running the race, and he says, oh, but you can keep going. Because God is the one who works in you to run each and every day. So Hebrews says we can persevere in our faith. We can run the race because the gospel has saved us from death to glory. It's all by the grace of God to the praise of God's glory in Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, even as, as we about to take communion, and as as we sing the doxology, and as we go out today, I just want to encourage you, take special time and just praise God for everything he's doing in you and repent for every way that you start taking credit for the things that he's doing in you. But remember, the reason that you were saved is by grace. The reason you stay saved is by grace, and the reason you will get to the finish line is by grace. All to the praise of our God who has saved us so yes, church, we can run. Yes, church, we can get to the finish line because of grace to the glory of God. So let's pray, and the team will come up, and uh, we will take communion. Our Father.